So two weeks ago, on the 17th of April, I spoke on a particular half a verse that I was so excited to come in and speak about that I said I'd never spoken on half a verse before. And the, the half a verse said, and the common men... Uh, the common people heard him gladly. And I, I knew that that was in there in Mark, and I wanted to kind of explore it out and say, what exactly is Mark getting at when he makes this statement? And uh, went through and, and, and dug some things out, found out that, that in order to understand that statement, you really have to see a much greater context that that passage, that very half a verse is in, in order to understand the significance of that particular statement. Now, I wound up calling that message, Hearing Jesus, because the common men heard him gladly. Now, i got to tell you, friends, it was rushed. I was short on time, which is the only reason why I'm not reading this letter right now. I, I do not want to put ourselves in a rushing situation. And I was unsatisfied with how that went. In fact, it bothered me the next week when Paul Bond was here only because I couldn't get back into the pulpit and correct some things I felt like were not very good in the way that that went down. And I, that was the only irritation to Paul being here, but I was thrilled Paul was here by the time he was done because Paul helped me understand something that I've wrestled with for a long time, and he just made it so simple. If you will remember, he spoke about saving faith, and out of saving faith, then we have a love for God, and out of the love for God, then that's where we then pursue the question of obedience, and that's where it is found. And I don't know how it has escaped me, but that progression helped me understand so much more clearly this question of, of, of the relationship between salvation, love, and obedience. And I've never heard anybody just line it up like that. That helped me a lot. So I was really glad Paul came, even though I was still a little frustrated, because I just felt so rushed. In fact, I wondered if somebody else picked up on how rushed I was feeling, because that week, about two days after I got there, uh, this came on a text message... All right, and here's a guy, the guy is in the pulpit, he's been stopped by a cop, and the cop says, you were preaching a 45-minute sermon in a 25-minute zone, Pastor. I'm going to have to see your license and ordination. <laughs> Deb Hansen sent that to me a couple of days afterwards. I don't know if she was just, you noticed, it's like, man, you were really going a mile a minute, okay? Uh, you didn't need to do that, Gary, but it's just kind of funny. Deb's got a great sense of humor. Do not think in any way she was being critical. I didn't take it that way at all. So we spoke about this issue then about clutter and how what we were trying to define as clutter was anything that as Jesus is speaking into our lives, things for which we become defensive and things for which we immediately throw up walls. And so it's things like, okay, um, he wants children, children, kids, be obedient to your parents. <laughs> well, my parents are not cool and my parents don't, are, and you start throwing all this stuff up, that's clutter. And it doesn't allow you to hear when Jesus says, children, obey your parents. It doesn't say if you think they're cool or not. It says, obey your parents. And then when we get to things where the word commands us and things like forgiveness and kindness and love and honesty in our labor and paying our workers fairly and moral purity and, and not cheating on tests that we're taking and all of these things, if we have all these defenses that are in place, all these things where we feel like we've got to protect ourselves... As we notice with those religious leaders around Jesus, they all are throwing up these protections. They couldn't hear him. We're going to be in the same place. That message be, turned out so awkward. 
Somebody asked me in the course of this last, this last week, said, hey, by the way, as you're trying to encourage us on the question of if we got clutter in our life, does it occur to you, you might have clutter in your life? I'm like, absolutely. And can we lay this down? I probably haven't reminded us in a while, all right? One of the things I'm trying to do when I'm here, I'm trying to speak to the human condition. I'm not trying to speak to individuals. I'm not trying to, as much as Karen wishes I would single her out and use her name and point and say, Karen, this is for you. I don't do that. This is for us, people, because as people in a human condition, we all suffer with these things. We all have the issues on this stuff. I didn't make that clear, and so that had me frustrated. Well, today we're going to come to a different, a different topic, but it, I found a half, after spending the last couple of weeks preparing for it, we've, in some ways it seems like we've, we've created the same arc in that we're kind of back to the same kind of thing, much to my own surprise. I'd like to speak today about not hearing Jesus, taking it to the next step of believing Jesus. And it too... The whole concept here begins with part of a verse. In Mark chapter 10, verse 17a, Jesus said, or Mark writes, and then Jesus looking at him, and we'll see who that him is, and then Jesus looking at him loved him. Now what intrigued me about that particular, just that part of that verse, is you can go ahead and you can do the study on it and you will find it is the only place in the book of Mark where someone is described as Jesus loving them directly. Now, we can see the love of God throughout the book of Mark. We can see how Jesus cared for people. It's the only place where it is stated that Jesus loved this person. Looking him in the eye, he loved him. And so I found that was interesting. So I wanted to pursue that. And I found I came through the same trajectory as far as the other phrase that was the common man heard him gladly. And that is in order to understand this, fra- this statement and Jesus Looking at him, he loved him. You have to get into a much broader context again before you will come to understand what is there. So we're going to grab that broader context. We're going to take a little time to think about it, and we're going to try our best not to rush. So the broader context is Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13, or excuse me, Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 13. Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 13. We read this. Then they brought little children to him, that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them, or rebuked those who brought them. When Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, Let the little children come to me. Do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And he took them up in his arms laid his hands on them, and blessed them. Now, as he was going out, of the, out on the road, one came running, knelt before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. And you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Got that? Jesus, looking at him, loved him. 
just imagine that moment. He's looking in his eyes. The expression of love that is flowing from him. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, take up the cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his word. But Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. Then Peter began to say to him, See, we have left all and followed you. So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Interesting little passage. It seems like a lot of disparate kind of things that are happening, but I believe they all bleed in one to the other to help us understand what it is Mark is trying to communicate through the life of Jesus at this time. And the first thing that I would just like to know, just this observation, believing Jesus bears an impact upon our life. Believing Jesus bears an impact on our life. If we truly believe him, it is going to affect us in some way. It will have something that internally takes place. Now notice, at the outset, the first thing we read about the, the parents who want to bring their children, they believed something about him, didn't they? They believed something that motivated them to say, want to get my kids into the arms of this guy, and they're trying to pick him up and push him on Jesus, and the disciples are pushing him away, but they believed something. And it impacted their thinking, it impacted their understanding, and they wanted to have something happening. And out of it, there was a blessing that was received. The young man, he believed something about Jesus. He told us what he believes. He believes he was, he, he was a good teacher. And he believed it so sincerely, it impacted his life, so that when Jesus was now leaving that area, he's breaking up from the crowds, he's going to the next place. This guy's like, i got to have more of this. So he comes running after him, falls down before him, says, Good teacher, what do I need that I might inherit eternal life? There had been an impact upon him by what Jesus had said, and he believed that this good teacher who was there He needed more from him before he left the area. The disciples, of course, they profess their own own situation. They They have believed so that they're able to say, we've given up everything to follow you. That's an impact, friends. So believing Jesus bears an impact upon our life. But believing Jesus 
begins with an impression on our minds. We first are going to think something. We first are going to come to some understanding. For instance, the children's parents and the children, I get this impression of him holding these children and they're perfectly fine in his arms. They know it's a safe place. And the parents knew it was a safe place to bring their children to this teacher, this itinerant miracle worker that is in, that is in their city at this time. And so the parents believed something. So when Jesus held these children, they believed. It's okay. Whoever he is, it's okay to be with him. The young man believed first. There was this impression in his mind. Here is a guy. Here is a teacher who has insight that I need. The others that I have listened to, they've had some good things to say. But they don't have what I truly need. I need an understanding on how to get eternal life. And so there was this impression in his mind, and so he came to him as, here is a teacher, a good teacher who has insight. He believed that. The disciples, of course, believed he was more than a good teacher with insight. In the book of Matthew, chapter 16, there's that incident that happens where Jesus asks the disciples, who do men say that I am? And they have all sorts of different responses as the, as the public as a whole is trying to figure out who Jesus is. And then he turns directly and he says, and who do you say that I am? Because all these other assumptions were all wrong. And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. They believed he was something more than just another good teacher who is out there, but they believed something began in their mind before they allowed it to impact them. So let's think about that, okay? Believing Jesus bears an impact upon our life. Believing Jesus begins first with an impression on our minds before we get to that place where we believe him. But that leads us to a third observation. The bigger our impression, the greater the impact. The bigger our impression, the greater the impact. We do this all the time. It's an election year. Mike has asked us and reminded us we need to be praying. Okay, we need to be praying for what's going on with our nation. All right, so far, good, bad, or indifferent. So far, I'm not real impressed by what I see happening. And I've been so frustrated with it leading into the fall. And I'm not real impressed. So what do I do with this information about the, about the, the, the candidates and who's trying to gain their party's approval? All right? I actually limit how much of it I'll take in. And I, do, I don't do a whole lot more than scan the headlines. It has to be something pretty significant for me to dig into it and go behind it. Because I'm just not impressed. Say, I'm not giving that much of my life to you right now. Right? That's one thing. Had something new happen this, this past week. I've never had happened before. The NFL draft took place. I actually sat for the first time in all my life and watched the NFL draft. For just one reason. Mike and I have been really excited about what happened with NDSU this past year. And we've been tr- following Carson Wentz. So we wanted to see, where does he go in the draft? He went number two, in case you're wondering. 
He went number two. We're excited that he got taken. We've been following articles on him for, for quite some time. He went number two. And so then I stayed around long enough to catch the Vikings' first draft pick and then the Packers' first draft pick. And I turned it off. That was as much as I was going to give to that. I didn't even know. I'm so ignorant of the draft. I didn't even know that they're going to keep drafting for the next couple of days. There are more runs. like, there's more of this? Ah, who needs that? Okay. I'm only giving you this much of my life. Okay. It's only going to make this much of an impression upon me that I'm going to give you this much of my life. But there is something that deserves all of our fullest attention. Okay, all of us need to be on board with this, and that is, whether you believe it or not, go back, look at the stats, the Cubs are in first place. (laughs) And there are those who are predicting them to win the World Series. Now, this is worth following. (laughs) And I'm reading anything I can find on that. All right? But why? It all has everything to what I think and what I believe and what I want to see happening. And... The Cubs are of more significance to me than these other things right now in terms of what I'm saying because other things aren't making that great of an impression, so I don't give them that much of myself, and I don't allow it to impact my time as I might other things. So think of the, think of the significance of the impact. The parents, the parents saw Jesus pick up their child, lay his hands on them, and bless them. I read that. It's one of those incidences I read, and I go, when I get to glory one day, I'm going to track down the parents, I'm going to track down the kids. And I want to know whatever happened with the lives of these that Jesus personally held and blessed. How did God fulfill the prayer in those kids' lives? What did they grow up to become? How did parents see uh, God's hand upon their children? What was it like in that moment when Jesus the Messiah held your child and blessed them? Significant impact because of a big impression. Jesus was trying to make a significant impact on the young man. Imagine, he, he believed this much about him, that he was a good teacher. Look what Jesus offered him. Jesus offered him the privilege to become part of this this party of people around him, the disciples group, says, hey man, unload all that baggage and come follow me. <laughs> Huge possibilities with that. Amazing, incredible possibilities because he, he believed enough to fall at his feet and say, good teacher, how can I inherit eternal life? And Jesus gave him some instructions. Amazing. The disciples, I've already, we've already noted, they did leave everything. And Jesus said to them when they said that, well, we've left everything, <laughs> you're in for an incredible ride. All your needs are going to be met. You're also going to find there's persecution in this thing. You're going to find it's got its ups and downs. But in the end, eternal life is yours, and you're going to say it was all worthwhile. And he took them on this incredible journey that we're still talking about them. The young man's life... Yeah, Mark doesn't even bother to give us his name. But did you notice, as he's interacting with the disciples, he created some confusion for them. Because the way he wound up addressing them was, after this young man, he said, sell all you got, follow me. Then he turned to the crowd when that guy walked away, he said, it's hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. 
And what caused them confusion was in their culture and what they understood. The reason you're wealthy, Vern, the reason you have so much money, Vern, is because God's favor is upon you and he's given you all the wealth that you've got. Okay? That's why you're wealthy. So now Jesus comes along and says, it's hard. It's hard for a wealthy man to enter the kingdom of God. They're like, how can that be? The wealthy guy's already got the favor of God. And they're, they're confused. He says they're astonished. Mark says they're astonished at that. It's like, we don't get this. So what does he do? He doubles down. And he says, children, listen to me. I'm telling you, it's hard for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. You heard me right the first time. I just want to make sure it's clear. And then to make my point even more clear, he says, it's easier for a camel, largest mammal they have available to them, to go through the eye of a needle. It's easier for a camel to do that. And now they're just completely blown out of the water. Well, if the rich people who have God's favor, if it's hard for Vernon to get in because he's clearly got God's favor, look at all the riches he has, how does anybody get saved? And Jesus says, with man it's not possible. With God, it is possible. He says, it's only with God in the equation this thing can even come to be. We quoted Matthew 16 earlier when Jesus asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Remember what he says after that? He says to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father, which is in heaven. This has been supernaturally revealed to you as to the reality as to who I truly am. And you see the young man? He was still limited in his perspective about Christ. The young man was held back by this limited belief because Jesus says to him, Hey, you did all the right things. The law sounds good. Then he takes him to one next step. Then I believe the next step really takes him back. He's circling back on that when he said, Good teacher! And Jesus said, Why do you call me good? There's only one good. That's our Father in heaven. There's only one who is good, our Father in heaven. Now let's find out if you really think I'm good. Because Jesus would make the claim, he makes the claim in John, that he's as good as the Father in heaven. He equates himself with the Father in heaven. So it's not a question of his goodness. He's testing the young man to see if he's really going to get it, to see how much he truly understands. The young man, does he truly understand who he's talking to? And here's the test for him. Okay, you understand the law. All right, you've, you've been living that out to the best of your ability. You got that. Okay, now let me put you to the real test. What do you really think about me? And here's how we'll know. Sell all that you have. Follow me. Just like these others who've done it, they've walked away from their jobs, they've walked away from their nets, they've walked away from the life they knew, and they followed me. It says, come join us. Give what you sold to the poor. That's going to give you treasure in heaven. That's going to bless your life like you've never even understood blessing. And then walk with us. You'll have eternal life. And he walks away. Now, friends, if Jesus was here today, And you knew he is the Jesus we read about in the Bible. He is the second person of the Trinity. He is God incarnate. And you know this about him. And he says, sell everything you have, follow me. You going to follow him? Amen. Yeah, you will. Thanks, Leah. That's right. You will. 
Because you understand what? Who he is. And because your impression of him is big enough, that's what will cause you to say, absolutely, Lord, I'm in. Okay? I'll dump it all. I'm in. I don't know what you have in store for me, but I'm in because I really know who you are. And when the impression is big enough, then good things happen. And this young man couldn't get past the fact that he's just a good teacher. And Jesus is pointing that out to him, that you got to see me as something more. Do you really know who I am? If God alone is good, he's in essence saying to the young man, and you call me good, are you saying I'm God? Have you got that? If, you're con- truly conf- if you are truly confessing me, for who you say I am, and that God alone is good, and, and I am, you're calling me good, so therefore I must be something special. What I say next to you won't be a problem. Sell all you have. It won't be a problem if you truly understand what you're saying and the truth in what you're saying. But the young man didn't get it, and he went away sad. So... Believing Jesus bears an impact upon our life. Believing Jesus begins with an impression on our minds. The bigger our impression, the greater the impact. Because he had no impact from that moment other than, well, it was an interesting afternoon listening to this guy teach. And he walked away the same as he was. Which leads us to a real simple question that plays with all of us Myself included. Let's make sure we're clear on this. Because I wasn't clear on that two weeks ago. Is our impression big enough? Is our impression big enough? First, is it big enough to let him save us? I don't know anybody who's been asked to sell everything. I think Jesus is speaking specifically to that young man to try and get, a, to rest, get him to wrestle with what does he truly believe about who Jesus is and what does he truly believe about who God is and how God wants to work in his life. He doesn't ask us to sell everything, but he will ask us to change. He will come into our lives and things will begin to be different. And so, is our impression big enough to let him save us? Are we able to see in his eyes the love as he speaks to us? Are we able to see as he loved that young man, the only place in Mark where it stated he loved specifically anyone? Are we able to trust that love that is being communicated to us? Because love is at the very heart of the message of Jesus Christ, isn't it? God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Here in his love, not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Are we, do we have a big enough impression of his love and to understand that what does he want to do? Just like as he said with the young man, he said, you're going to have eternal life, man. You've got good things that are going to come your way. Get rid of all this stuff that hinders you and come to me and I will do a transforming work in your life. Think how limited this man's life remained. Think about this. He, had the, he was given the invitation to come on board with this band of disciples and to watch the Messiah 
on earth. Do his miracles. Make his claims. Ultimately, he would hang on a cross and he would have experienced that and then he'd have been there for the resurrection. And he'd been called to go out and change the world. Imagine the invitation that he received. What Jesus was ready to do with his life by inviting him in with this group of people whom he was preparing to set free into a world and change everything. And what did he leave with? He left with what he had before. A fair amount of money. Creature comforts. That's what he left with. Look what he missed. Look what he missed. Oh, my friends, number one, is our impression of Jesus big enough to let him save us? Is there anyone here today? I don't know. I don't know where people are at, but is there anyone here today where you go, you know what, I I never really have been able to trust Jesus enough to let him save me, to call upon him, to let him change my life. Because you know what, I got all this stuff I got to hold on to here, and I'm afraid if he comes into my life, he's going to disrupt the apple cart a little bit more than I want to disrupt it. So, no, thank you, Jesus. And you'll leave here with the same limited life that you came in with. Friends, Jesus speaks to us in love and he wants to bring us to wholeness and he wants to, he wants to bring us to that place where there's a dynamic in our life as far as what he's doing that goes beyond anything we could imagine. But we have to trust him for that. Do we, is our impression of him big enough that we would say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner And I'm trying to hold on to all these things, but I just need to hold on to you and I ask you to come into my life to to be my savior. Solve this sin issue that I've got. Oh, friend, each one of us has to come to that decision. Most of us here have, I trust that. But I don't know who has not. So that's the first thing. Is our impression big enough to let him save us? And the second thing is our, is our impression, and this is for most of us here, is our impression big enough to let him change us? And that's what I was trying to talk about a couple weeks ago, where we get defensive and we want to protect things. And we can't hear him, and now we're just talking about the same issues, but can we believe him? Can we believe him to, to change us, to give up to give up the grudge that we've carried against somebody for years. To offer forgiveness to somebody who doesn't deserve it. To reach out in love to the people who are not lovable and haven't loved us and he's calling us. To mend relationships within a family, within a neighborhood, at work. Is our impression of him big enough that we can, we can trust him to think and operate differently over those who abused us as children and, and we can trust him that he'll bring healing to these areas if we open them up to him? Is our impression of him big enough? See, this is why I try and speak to the human condition. Every one of us is here with some place where God's trying to press upon it and say, will you let me in here? And for each of us, it's unique. And he speaks to me too. Are, are we clear? For each of us, though, it's unique. He says, I want to open that up and I want to bring healing into that place. Do we see in his eyes as he looks at us? Do we see his love?
Do we hear his voice of love that his desire for us is good? In those places where he, we know he's trying to get our attention, may our impression grow to the point and we confess it to the point that, yes, Lord, you are great enough to do that and you love me enough to do that. So come into my life and I give up the bitterness. I give up the anger. I give up the unforgiveness. I give up the grudge. I begin to love my wife. I begin to respect my husband. I begin to obey my parents. I forgive. Is our impression big enough? Father, thank you. Thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ, and when he comes into our lives and he makes these offers, they are incredible things he sets before us. But Lord, we, we're saddened when we read the account of a young man who held on to his riches rather than holding on to Christ. But Father, we hold on to our own things, and we know we do. We hold on to many things that prevent us from finding wholeness in you. So I pray that you will give us the big enough impression of your love and your ability to change us through Jesus Christ that we'll yield these things to you. And Father, if there's, if there's anyone in this worship center who has never had a big enough impression of Jesus Christ to, that they would allow him to save them, I pray that this would be the morning when they say, Lord Jesus, you are magnificent and you are great and I am a sinner and I need you and I ask you to come into my life right now. Minister to us as we need, Father, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.